You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in the middle of this story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And what I would like to do is start reading in verse 16. So if you would, stand with me as we honor the reading of Scripture together. Jesus said to the woman, Go, call your husband to come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a, a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's stop there. Let's pray. Have you ever been involved in a, a conversation with somebody? And when I say conversation, I mean a really important conversation about spiritual things. You just made this transition. You got to the, the gospel with this person, and the person seemed to be really interested in the gospel. And then all of a sudden, one way or another, the conversation got interrupted, and the conversation was just over. I think most of us have had an experience like that. We hope that we will have a, another chance to visit with that person. We hope that we are going to, to come back and be able to, to revisit that conversation. That's really what happens here in a, a sense, right? Jesus is having this conversation with a, a woman at the well. He confronts her about her sin. She tries to change the subject a couple of times. She brings up the right place to, to worship. Jesus answers that question after she tries that. She tries to end the conversation by bringing up the, the Messiah and how he's going to, to tell her all of these things. And then in verse 26, Jesus says, I am the Messiah that you seek. It's a marvelous story, and, and as you read it, you're eager to hear what Jesus is going to say next to the woman. He's made a, an impression on her, to say uh, the least. It's a, a crucial point in the conversation. But then we're told in verse 27 that 
Just then, just then, at that time, the disciples came back. And they marveled that he was talking with this woman, but nobody said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And then in verse 28, the woman left. The conversation just seemed to end. The disciples came back, and you can imagine they're coming back down the road, they're visiting, they're laughing, and all of a sudden they see Jesus talking to this woman, and they marveled, it says, but they marveled silently. We have what they marveled about. But we were also told that nobody said anything. In other words, they got quiet, and I'm guessing it was a bit awkward. And the woman left. She actually left her water jar there and went to town. Of course, that's all from a human perspective. Jesus could see into the woman's heart, and he knew what was going on in the situation. He knew why she left. In a situation like this for us, when we're having an important conversation with somebody and they leave, and for one reason or another the conversation ends, we don't know what's going on in the heart of another. Did the message resonate? What's going to happen next? It's like planting a seed, not knowing what will happen to it. Will it grow? Will it bear fruit? Will it be rooted out? Jesus knew, of course, what was going on in the heart of the woman. He'd already seen into her heart. We've talked about that extensively. He knew her sin. He confronted her with that. It would be foolish for Jesus to turn around now or for us to turn around now and think that Jesus had no idea what was going to happen to this woman. But he didn't know that this woman was born again. That she left there believing in him. Let me turn back to our perspective, though, briefly here, though. And I guess my point is is simple. When it comes to evangelism, our task is to share the gospel of Jesus as clearly, as plainly as possible, to share as much and as soon as we can with another, because we never know when that conversation is going to end, and then we trust the Lord with the result. It is God that opens the eyes of the blind, It is Jesus alone that heals the spiritually crippled soul. We cannot give spiritual sight to the blind. Only the Lord Jesus can do that, so we trust him. And if you notice something already, I've made an assumption of about our text, at least at this point in the text, we said that Jesus knew what was happening. He knew why she left, even though somebody in our situation would not. He knew that this woman was born again. And the question is, is how, does we, how do we know that? How do we know that the woman left and was born again? The answer to that question is that, that we will see that there are changes. There were changes that took place in her. And, and some might say, well, you don't see changes in a person when they're born again uh, this fast. No real changes take place in a a person that quickly. Well, to that I would say that new birth produces changes. Subtle, perhaps, but change is just the same. Think about when a a child is, is born physically. Did you know that there are multiple changes that take place in the baby's life during the first few moments after they're born? 
Just think of a, a baby's eyes. The baby was used to, to darkness, and now they must adjust to the light. The, the body was used to temperatures of around a, 100 degrees, and now they must adjust to temperatures that are just over 20 degrees cooler. More importantly, perhaps, would be the, the circulation of the infant's blood. No longer it, it does it flow through the umbilical cord, but now it, it goes through the, the lungs. A valve in the heart which was open until birth must close permanently so that flesh, fresh blood that is circulating does not intermingle with the used blood. Lungs must fill with air. These are just a few of the dozens of things that must take place if the child is to live and be healthy. And it's just moments after that child is born. It isn't a stretch then to recognize that there are changes to one that have been born again spiritually. I think it's important to recognize that just like an infant, there are real and important changes that take place. But most of the time, these things are not given much thought at all. In fact, they're not even recognizable. In the life of the Samaritan woman, we can see some changes that take place that point to the fact that she was converted, that she was born again. Here's another point, and that is, if one claims new birth but there is no change, even very subtle, then there's reason to question whether new birth has really taken place. And, and before I get into this, I, I want to go back to, to chapter 3 for just a moment. Remember, chapter 3 is about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And in that conversation, he says, you must be born again. It's one of the three must statements in John's gospel. That's what Jesus told him. You, you must be born again. And you can't make yourself be born again. What is born of the Spirit? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That is what's born of the Spirit is Spirit. The Spirit gives birth. This isn't something that, that one can just do. The theological word here is regeneration. It, it means to be born again, new birth, to be given a, a new and divine life. And the question is, is who does the regenerating? Who is it that takes the, the old, dysfunctional, sin-sick heart and, and heals it? Who is it that brings this regenerating power to the, to the sin-stained heart and soul of a person? God does this through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates. This is what we learn in John chapter 3. That the Spirit of God makes us alive or, or quickens or gives new birth. All of these things, are. this is the language of regeneration. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Why does the Holy Spirit do this? The answer to that question is grace. That means that the giving of, of new birth is, is totally undeserved. It's unmerited. God didn't see some goodness, some merit, some quality in you and then decide to give you new birth. He didn't decide to, to regenerate you based on some merit in you. It was unmerited favor. It was grace alone. That's regeneration, but let me just finish this thought. The, the regenerate 
person then responds to new birth and they place their faith and trust in Christ. This is the response to regeneration. It is called, and therefore they are justified or made right with God. This is why we say that justification is by faith alone. There is no other way that one is made right before God. It is only through faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus is the response to the work of the Holy Spirit, taking one that was dead spiritually and making them alive spiritually. In Ephesians 2, it basically says the same thing I have. Paul tells the Ephesians that they had been dead spiritually. They follow the ways of the the world, the way of the devil, the way of the the flesh. They were therefore objects of God's wrath. And then in verses 4 and 5, we read this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ It is by grace you have been saved. I just want you to make this clear. Faith in Christ Jesus is a response then to regeneration, to new birth. Regeneration precedes faith. To make this simple here, we see this woman's faith in Christ Jesus. We we don't see what the Holy Spirit has done. We don't see the regeneration. We don't see the taking the, the sin-sick heart and making her alive, but we see her faith in Christ. That's how we know that she has been born again. Let me just put it this way. I remember when Will was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck, and the, the doctor recognized this, and he He slipped the umbilical cord off his neck and then quickly cut the cord and and gave him a a pat on the behind. And in all of this one motion, it was was pretty incredible. And then all of a sudden, Will started to cry. And it dawned on me that before that, he hadn't cried. And the doctor wanted to hear him cry because that was good. Then, when Silas and CJ were born, I remember I was eagerly waiting to hear them cry because that was evidence that air had entered into their lungs and the child started to breathe. The same is true spiritually. When a person is born again, there is evidence of the the breath of God has entered into the person. They place their their faith and, and trust in Christ Jesus. And that's why the Bible speaks about this need for this public confession of faith. It speaks about that in numerous places. Now, don't misunderstand. I don't want to be misunderstood here because this is so important. I'm not saying that spiritual birth depends on outward confession. There are some that believe this in various forms. That Baptism is a confession, and it's tied to to new birth. It's called baptismal regeneration, and it it means that that one is born again through, at least in part, through baptism. I'm not saying anything of the kind. That is heretical. I'm saying, though, that outward confession or baptism, those expressions of faith, those expressions of allegiance, those are very important because we confess Christ because we have been born again. 
The two are, are tied together, but one follows naturally after the other. The Bible knows nothing of a secret believer that thinks confession of Christ is optional. It isn't that the true believer must confess Christ to be a believer. The emphasis is wrong. It's on merit. That the true believer, the one who has been born again by the Spirit, has a change in their life. Things change and they confess that Jesus is the Christ. Confession is the product of new birth. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and verse 33, Jesus says it this way, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, don't read into this text. These verses don't say that one is born again through confession. Only that the one who is born again will confess Christ. Like the changes that take place at the moment one is physically born, they begin to cry because air has filled their lungs. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice here, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be justified. You will be made right with God based on your faith. It doesn't get clearer than that. How is one saved? Through belief. Then it says that the heart believes and is justified, and it is one that confesses Jesus to be Lord just as it is impossible to be saved apart from faith in Christ, it is impossible to be saved apart from confession of Christ. Notice that belief is the instrument that God uses to justify or to save, and the product of this is confession. To make it even more clear, what happens in the heart proceeds out the mouth. I think that's what Paul is getting at. So notice that there is a, a great contrast here between Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and this woman in John chapter 4. From what we know of, of Nicodemus, he was very interested in spiritual things. He came to Jesus. Nicodemus asked Jesus a first question. He actually asked how he could be saved. All of this is in stark contrast with Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Nicodemus was the one who seemed sincere, who was spiritually oriented, but yet there was no evidence that he actually believed. But the woman, on the other hand, she showed her faith in every aspect of her speech and her conduct. Nicodemus heard great teaching on the new birth, but it wasn't personal. One commentator pointed out that Nicodemus we see Nicodemus a couple more times in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 7, we have a record of the, the Jewish leaders plotting to take Jesus' life. And Nicodemus intervenes in verse 51 and says, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? It was a good point. He was saying that Jesus' civil liberties were important and should not be violated. It was good for him to bring that up, but was it a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
He was far from it. After Jesus' death, Nicodemus came with Joseph of Arimathea to embalm Jesus' dead body. This is in John chapter 19. And many would would point to this as an act of of faith. And and it's possible, I, I suppose, but the act itself and what we know of it isn't a confession of Christ. Many, in, many unbelievers would have done the same thing out of guilt or sediment. I'm not saying that Nicodemus wasn't a Christian. He might have been. But what is clear is that we have no evidence of it. On, on the other hand, the woman of Samaria, she didn't want to be saved. She didn't even really want to talk to Jesus. Still, she was born again, and she showed it immediately by leaving and going back to the city with a personal invitation and testimony of what Christ has done in her life. She said, come see this man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus had told her that he was the Messiah, and she believed his testimony and went to the city essentially saying, the Messiah is here. Come and see So there was a confession of Christ by the woman. But there was also other evidence of her new birth. And that is, uh, another one would be a change in values. In studying the the Gospel of John, I've been really surprised as to how much depth there is in the narrative. We've pointed this out a a little bit in, in contrast between Nicodemus and the woman. John has been very careful to show the differences between the two cases It isn't happenstance that the two chapters are right by each other. John's purpose in John's gospel is he's introducing us to Jesus, and the way that he's doing this is very methodical. He's making a wonderful point right from the onset, and that is that Jesus changes lives. The regenerate person is is changed, and we have this unnamed woman going and telling a community about Jesus, and a great number of people are going to, to come to faith based on her testimony. And we don't even know her name. Nicodemus, who is important and interested in spiritual things, there's no evidence that Jesus changed his life because there was no evidence that he was ever redeemed. The woman on the other hand, we see a change right away. John illustrates this in a very beautiful way as he writes that she leaves the water jar behind and goes back to town and tells the people. The fact that the woman left the water jar here was important in that the story is being told by an eyewitness. This is something that caught John's attention, John's attention to detail. He noticed she left the water jar behind. But just think about the significance of that for a moment. Really, this entire conversation that Jesus was having with this woman was about water. The woman had had come for water. Jesus asked for water. There was talk of wells and springs and living water. And now the woman understood that she had found the water that alone could satisfy her soul. And she no longer thought of the water jar. This is what faith in Jesus Christ does. It changes things. Things that were once thought of as important lose their importance. I can't help but think of the popular line in the the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, that says, The things of earth will grow strangely dim. I wonder if you've experienced this, right? The the change in your life and values as a result of the gospel. And when I say that and ask that question, I don't mean, have you been totally transformed overnight? There's no evidence that this this woman was was totally transformed overnight. It, It doesn't happen that way often, although it certainly can. 
Generally, though, the, the Christian life is one of growth as a child grows. And by the question, I don't mean to, to ask if you've been totally transformed, if you've already made it and arrived. I'm just saying, has there been evidence? It's a simple question. Let me ask you, was it significant that the woman left the jar? On one hand, it was very significant. But in the whole scheme of her life, she left a jar by the well. It wasn't that big a deal. But this woman, she confessed Christ. She had a, a change in values. In John's gospel, we see the importance of the, the verbal witness, the verbal confession, but it isn't enough just to say the right words. There are changes that take place. My point here isn't to, to get into how sanctification looks and how one ought to grow and what all that looks like in the lives of people. My point is just simple. The new birth has certain effects in the life of an individual. It might look different in different people. And, and the changes might be insignificant to everybody but you. But still, it's evidence. The fact is, when we recognize Jesus as the true living water that truly satisfies the soul, it changes things. We confess him to be that living water who has changed us. And then we leave the jar behind because we don't need it anymore. Values have changed. Things that were once held dear, sins that we couldn't live without are abandoned. I want to bring up one more thing when it comes to, to evidence of new birth. This woman's confession was followed by a change in values but there was also a concern for those who were lost and didn't know the Messiah. She had found him. Jesus said, I am, I'm, I'm he, I, I'm the Messiah. And she believed. So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. The, the question is what made this woman go? Some have surmised that it was gratitude. She was so grateful for what God had done for us that she left and, and went. I read a, a commentary that, that talked about this, and, and this commentator said, no, it, it couldn't have been gratitude, because if it was gratitude, then the woman would have stayed there with Jesus. I say yes and no. I get the point that the commentator is trying to make. You can't, but you can't divorce gratitude from the woman's actions. The commentator went on to suggest that it was really love that made her go. Love of the Lord Jesus Christ had already begun to spring up as a well within her. I think this is true. It's also true that the woman had a a new awareness of who Jesus was, of who she was talking to. That she was satisfied now, like she's never been satisfied before. She, she knew the, the truth of what Jesus talked about. If you would have asked me, I would have gave you water and you would have never thirst again. She knew what he was talking about in a real way. And she wanted others to experience that. It was gratitude. It was love. It was all of this. It is true that Jesus showed his love 
for a sinful woman that every other person probably in his position would have despised. And in turn, she was showing that love to others around her by pointing them to Jesus. That is true. Here's my point, and then I'll be finished. First, the, the evidence of the new birth doesn't look the same in every individual. Some will immediately go and tell the entire city, and some will go tell their family and their friends. Their confession of Christ is just as real, but not as noticeable to those around. The same can be said with the change of values. For some, the, the change is, is instant and dramatic, and everyone notices. For others, the evidence is more akin to leaving a water jar behind that only a few people notice. But the point is that new birth produces evidence. It's clear here in the text before us, and it should be clear in our lives. Regeneration, God giving us a new and divine life, it changes things. You know, I was, I was thinking as I was <clears throat> preparing about the, the evidence in my own life. And I, and I think that's what a discussion like this ought to do, right? It ought to, to help us point back to our own life and say, hey, what was the, the evidence of new birth in, in my life? What is that evidence? You know, the, the confession of, of Christ, the, the change in values, the concern for the lost. Let me just give you one example. And I don't, I'm not going to share this to, to toot my own horn. In fact, this is something I don't share with, don't share with people very often. But um, when, I was, when I was growing up, my grandma, my mom's mom, she lived in Bozeman. She wasn't a, she wasn't a believer. Um, she was maybe a little hostile uh, to the Christian faith, but she loved me and she loved my sister. Um, we spent a lot of time with her and as I, as I grew older, I went to college, and my grandma about that time was getting into email. And my mom would say, you know, you should email her and stuff. And I wanted to email my grandma. I was always kind of into technology and, and stuff like that. And I was thinking about, well, what should I email her? What should I tell her? And it, it just hit me that, you know, my, I've never really shared the gospel with my grandma. Um... I need to share the gospel with her. So I, I wrote her an email, the, the first and only email that I sent my grandma. And um, she, she passed away not long after, I mean, just days after I sent it. And I, and I bring this up because this was, was evidence, not evidence that, that everyone would see, but it was a moment in, in my life where I took note that, God was, God was at work. He, he gave me a, a concern for my, my grandmother, knowing that, that she was going to, to not live very long after that. I don't, I don't know if she read the email. I don't know anything. But I do know that God was at work in my heart. What about you? What about confession of Christ, a change in values, a concern for the lost? 
Perhaps think about it in terms of three C's. Confession, change, concern. It's a great way to remember this, but also remember that there's a fourth C. A fourth C in the text even, and that is come. It's, it's an invitation. We, we talked about this in verse 16, right? In verse 16, Jesus says to the woman, go call your husband and come back. And now it's a repeated invitation, but this time it's repeated not by Jesus, but it's repeated by the woman. Come see this man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? You need to respond to that invitation this morning and believe that that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You know, maybe there are some here that, that are dealing with things in their life. They're they realize that they are, you are a, a sinner. And just reading the, the word of God here and, and knowing that Jesus is, is who he says he is. That he's the one that dealt with your sin on the cross, who paid the penalty. That he's the only one that can make you right before God. The invitation is simple. Come. You know, we, we started the service this song by this children, Jesus Strong and Kind. Just the, the name of the song is an invitation. Come. He's strong and kind. If you're lost, come. If you need strength, come. Come to Jesus because he is the only one that can satisfy. Come. He's the only one that can heal a broken heart, a truly sin-sick broken heart. Come. It's a tremendous invitation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. Your word is, is truth. Lord, we thank you that, that you don't leave us on our own to, to grope around and and find things to which we can implement to save ourselves. But you, your spirit takes dead people and makes them alive. And when they're alive, something happens. They change. They don't remain the same. Lord, I pray that for us, Lord, those who hear that have believed that the truth of the gospel, Lord, don't, we don't want to stay the same. I pray that we would be people who confess Christ, who have a change in values, who have a dramatic concern for the, the lost, and that we're, that invitation is always on our lips. Come to Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would do these things and more than we could ever ask or think. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.